Welcome into Hardcore Penn State Football 50 Burger Penn State taking care of Rutgers 55 to 10. They scored two defensive touchdowns and one special team touchdown. Little question for you guys before we head into the music intro. When was the last time Penn State had two defensive touchdowns and one special teams touchdown in a single game? And who was the opponent? All that breakdown and a lot more bowl projections and whatnot right after the break. See you in a second, everybody. football i'm Corey listoki with me as always the great sean kane how are you doing today sean i'm doing well easy like sunday morning it was quite a friendsgiving at the place and penn state uh took Rutgers to the woodshed so very easy sunday morning so we like this how about you Corey? uh pretty good pretty good yeah um when's the lady come back um not till next weekend okay so yeah um but we got some cleaning done didn't really do anything besides watch football there's a lot of good football on yesterday it's yeah like a, it's a good weekend for football so i think it was <clears throat> i think it was the most almost upsets of all time yeah and it, well yeah that's a good point almost there's a lot of chaos going on if you didn't see michigan almost lost tcu almost lost ohio state was only was only up three towards the end there um yeah, but ifs and buts. Something there's a there's a there's a saying yeah. about that. Um, Penn State wins fifty five to ten. Sean, to answer the trivia question, you got any idea? Uh, you know, I tried going through last night and thinking about that, and I couldn't tell you. I know the last time we had two defensive touchdowns though, but I can't. The special teams one throw really throws a wrench in it. When was the last time Penn State had two special or two defensive touchdowns? Well, admittedly, I'm cheating because Mike told me uh, it was Illinois 2005. Yeah, the uh, was there 
Is there two defensive touchdowns in the game, or is there a, de- a defensive touchdown and a special teams touchdown? Okay. Maybe that's what it was. I think that might have been it. That might have been it. That might have been it, know. actually. Yeah, I don't know, though, <laughs> to, um, to answer the, the main question. Yeah. Well, it was before either of us were born. And it's actually the last time we played this team, and that is Bowling Green. Penn State beat Bowling Green 48-3, to and that was in 1988, last time Penn State had a special teams touchdown and two defensive touchdowns. Is that the last year Penn uh, Rutgers beat Penn State, too? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, right? yeah I think I saw that yesterday. Um, there's actually a Penn State game story, 18-minute YouTube clip on that game, Bowling Green game, if you're curious. Who's the quarterback? I don't even know who the quarterback was then. Um, that's a good question. Yeah. The late 80s is a little fuzzy. I know Saka came. Uh, Also, I believe it was Joe Paterno's, uh... 300th win that day. Tony Sacco was the quarterback. Oh, Sacco. Oh, okay. Sacco was the quarterback in 88. Okay. Yep. Gotcha. Um, Gary Brown led the team in rushing. If anyone was curious. With a... Oh, I'm sorry. This is specifically in just this... No. Yeah, yeah. For the season. And I think Joe's 300th win was also against Bowling Green, but I don't think it was for another few years oh no, no no that was the last time that was the last time penn state's played bowling green but i think that was it i think that was a 300 one i don't think so because he got his 324th one in 02 that would have meant he only won like 24 yeah, games that doesn't and, make sense and oh did i really leave my coffee downstairs oh that is a bummer that's a real real bummer i'm gonna take my I, mic i I thought we might hear another F word from you, Corey. No, no, no. Oh, it's right there. Okay. Sean, say hi to everybody. Give us your thoughts. I'll be right back. I'm going to go to you. Hi, everyone. So that was fun yesterday, wasn't it? Um, First half was very strange um, because it didn't feel like we were playing well at all. And the game felt a little drunk. Uh, We had Tito's and Sprite here, so I consider getting a little drunk. But I decided not to till later after the game. And yeah, but at the same time, our offense isn't doing anything. And then you look and it's 14-10. So and uh I really thought that Rutgers had opportunities to stick with us. And with the singleton fumble, I, I thought that could have been a big play. But then they end up missing the field goal, and I thought they needed a touchdown. They got nothing out of it. Uh, the singleton kick return, that was another big play in the game. Uh, kind of, and, and look, it's good when you could rely on an opportunistic defense and special, and special teams making plays for you. Because your offense isn't always going to have their A game at all times. Now, it, the offense did end up kicking it into gear as the game went on. And overall, I thought they played pretty well, um, especially the, the the two running backs outside of the singleton fumble. So, so yeah, uh, that's really what happens when you have a defense that could uh, wreak havoc, and you have special teams that 
uh, puts points up on the board. Jake Pinnaker had another had another field goal, uh, another two field goals. So, so yeah. I mean, overall, I was pretty happy with it. I'll always take a fifty-five to ten win, a Big Ten win on the road. Um, I I don't think Rutgers is that great, but Rutgers also is the twenty-first defense total de- ranked 21st in total defense in the country. So to put 55 points up and they weren't all by the offense, but you know, to put a sizable amount of points up on them, I think you'll take that any day. Uh, we'll probably get into the Drew Aller talk uh, later, uh, but I thought he came and I thought he did some nice things. We ran him a lot more than I thought we would. Um, I mean, I think, James Franklin loves a running quarterback, so I guess that's what we're going to be doing with him. But I kind of hope he runs a little less than he did against Rutgers, to, to be frank, next year. Yeah, I need to really clarify something. I think I said 1988. I meant 1998. Oh. Yeah, that makes way more sense. Because that was a Bowling Green game you're thinking about. So, need to... Everyone is probably yelling at us for like two seconds there on the podcast. Yeah, my apologies. My apologies. Um, 1998. That's why I had to go get the cup of coffee. That's okay, Corey. All you needed was that cup of coffee. Now you're good. You know, I was just I was just right so much this week that I needed to be wrong about something to kind of get me back on on modest terms. Um, yeah. How, how did North Carolina play? Yeah, North Carolina. Um, you know what they they shot out to a twenty one nothing lead, and then they didn't score the rest of the game. Or I'm sorry, seventeen nothing lead, and then they didn't score the rest of the game. And, and Georgia Tech beat North Carolina twenty one seventeen. So there goes any chance that Penn State and North Carolina will play. I guess theoretically they could upset Clemson and still. Yeah, it could so, still happen, but it's not more unlikely now. We'll, we'll get to the bowl projections a little bit later in the show, but that would actually be pretty bad for Penn State's. Um, not necessarily Rose Bowl or Orange Bowl chance, but it would if UNC or anyone really upsets anybody in a conference championship, that would actually hurt Penn State's Cotton Bowl chance. So you you wouldn't want to see that. Um, we'll get to that way later. Sean, I, I heard some of the stuff you said. Yeah, I, I think we can talk Aller. That's actually one of the fan questions this week. Um, so we'll get to that one a little bit later. I, yeah, I mean, look, they, they didn't come out and look crazy great offensively right off the bat. I think that's also a fan question a little bit later. Um, but I always say this, and this is why I guess I disagree with with people in that Michigan game, because I know Penn State didn't play great in that first half against Michigan, but they still found a way to keep themselves in that football game. And I think that's an important trait to have and to possess. And they still gave themselves a lead in that third quarter against Michigan. And I, I, I kind of use that to the same comparison in this game. Penn State did not look good offensively, but yet again, they found different ways to score and and to give them really a chance to put the game away before the offense really even got going. So it was a it was a kick return for a touchdown by Singleton. It was the the Kobe King fumble return for touchdown, and then it was really the who knows if Penn State just gets a punt and then the offense comes back out. Who knows when they blow out uh, Rutgers? But it was really the it was really the fumble return for touchdown by Jair Brown that kind of kind of got the the snowball rolling. So um, always good when you can go on the road and you can kind of maybe find a little bit different way to win. Obviously, you want to see the offense start a little bit faster. But uh, but it was as much of a team win as you could ever imagine, John. 
Yeah, I mean, I thought all three units did some good things on on Saturday. I thought the defense played about as well as you could ask them to play. Uh, they had another. They had fifteen TFLs. So, I mean, that they, they were in the backfield the whole game. And really, you could tell from the first couple drives, they weren't going to be able to block us. I, they had a lot of trouble blocking Abdul Carter. They really couldn't block Abdul Carter. Uh, that guy is a machine. And really, I, I want to highlight the linebackers a little bit. I, I, think they're, I think we're seeing some real growth from them, especially the guys in the middle. Uh, Kobe King. Had a defensive touchdown yesterday. He just seems to um, have more awareness for where the ball is going to be at this point. Uh, probably, and he could, I think he's a little more uh, dynamic than a guy like Tyler Elston. Um, I would maybe consider starting Kobe King. Uh, but Elston, I think, has been making, has been having, has also been straining it together some good games. So, I mean, Overall, it's good to see growth from both of them because we're going to need both of them, especially going into next year and beyond. Uh, Curtis Jacobs returned from injury, had himself a nice game. Um, He caused a strip sack that Jair Brown scored on. So, yeah, I think the linebackers could really, really have a chance to be a strength going into next year. And that's a big contrast from where we were coming into this year with them. Uh, but we, we didn't know that Abdul Carter was going to be such a stud immediately. And the middle linebackers are, fin- are finally showing some growth. So good things all around from the linebacking unit. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. Yeah, I mean, Abdul Carter now leads the team with sacks, with four and a half sacks. Um, it surprises me how many times when he lines up in the A-gap that offensive lines decide not to block him. I don't. I don't know the intricate details on on how many Diaz is able to get that to happen so much, or or Carter just sidesteps a guy and makes it look stupid easy. Um, but it's just amazing to me how many times like there, there was a one play it was third down, Penn State only ended up rushing four guys and Carter still wasn't touched. And that's a huge credit to Manny Diaz. But again, it's just like at this point teams know what they're going up against in Abdul Carter like they they know to be paying attention he's not like a freshman that just had a, his one good game like he's been good all year and he lines up in the A gap a decent amount of the time now he stunts around every once in a while and he he does different things but to not pick him up in the A gap and to give the the most direct line of the quarterback time and time again is is puzzling for me so um I mean, I'm happy for it. Don't get me wrong. I hope they keep doing it. Just keep doing that. Just don't Uh, block them. That's fine. And his closing speed is remarkable when it comes to quarterbacks trying to run away. I mean, it it looks like he's moving at a different speed than everybody else. So that that is very Parsons-esque, in my opinion. Um, I hate the comparison because it's – I hate using it, like, because they're the same number. I just feel like that's a cheap way to say, oh, he looks like – but when he's closing in – on quarterbacks he does look like Micah Parsons and I would honestly argue as far as far as being a polished linebacker I think he's ahead of where Micah Parsons was his freshman year I don't know if he's necessarily the overall absolute athletic freak that Carter or that Parsons is which I mean that's a hard thing to be I think Carter's still way above the average you know d1 player but he he's a really good player and and he deserves the credit that he's been getting Uh, I'm just trying to see right now 
Yeah, I mean, this is we. I, th- I think we talked about this before that like when you look at the box score for defensive tackles, like you want to see your linebackers there more than you want to see like your secondary players there. And Kobe King led the team with six tackles. Curtis Jacobs had five tackles, and then Abdul Carter and Jonathan Sutherland and Jair Brown and Nick Tarburton all had four tackles. So that is like much much better than seeing a Keaton Ellis up there or Jalen Reed up there or, or something like that. So that, that, that was really nice to see as well. Yeah, for sure. And I, I kind of agree with you on the Micah Parsons, Abdul Carter thing. Uh, I don't think, I, and I, I, I don't think Abdul Carter is the athlete that Micah is, but Micah made a lot of mistakes his freshman year and people forget about those because he also made a lot of big plays, but there are lots of times that he was out of position he didn't play his gap assignment. He didn't uh, play his gap well. Um, and he also had some growing pains in pass coverage, like Abdul has had a couple of times. But I think he, I think Abdul is just a more polished linebacker at this point in his career than Micah was. And, but Micah has the athleticism to maybe have, a, have more upside than Abdul, than Abdul Carter. And I think Abdul Carter is going to play football for a very long time. And I think he's going to play at a high level, but while Micah may have more upside, I think you could. You, I think there's a, definitely a path for Abdul Carter being a better college player than Micah was. Yeah, I think he's and, on that path right now. And, and Micah didn't have his junior year. So. And my, Micah really didn't end up playing very much college football when I, yeah when it's all right. said and done. So um, I don't know what I was going to add to that, but no, I I agree 100. Um, percent I guess just to get my final initial thought up, and I think we'll talk about it a little bit later because there's a wide receiver question um, in the fan questions as well. But offensively, they struggled, and it was really because Parker Washington didn't play, didn't travel. There's a rumor that he's in a boot, but nobody has confirmed that yet. So we'll wait and see there. I guess I should somewhat apologize to Devin for... Devin asked a question on Twitter, and I was like, this is stupid, and he took offense to it. So I do apologize to him, but it was a it was a question on speculation that these injuries to J, to JPJ, they were trying to say that Joey Porter Jr. D- didn't actually have an apodectomy, that he just doesn't want to, he just wants to sit out, but so they made up, an ex, made up a fake appendicitis. And I'm like, I mean, I still think the comment's stupid, but I could have been nicer to him. So I apologize to him. But um, and and same with same with Parker Washington. And to be honest with you, I don't see any reason a guy like Parker Washington, if he is going to go pro, um, he's not a guy. He's going to want to be a guy that puts as much good film out there as possible, especially against, you know, poor competition. So um, if Parker Washington, I'm guessing this is technically speculation, but I'm guessing if Parker Washington was able to play for whatever reason, you would have seen him play on Saturday. So um, that was a random side note. But my real point was without Parker Washington, the offense struggled. I mean, there's no other way around it. The, people just weren't getting open to, to the degree they needed to get open. Condre Lambert Smith had a couple nice catches. Tinsley had a couple nice catches later on in the game. But um like that one drive right before the half was a fantastic drive. Like to, to get the 28, like uh, Clifford ran for about 22 yards on that drive. He threw for about 40 yards on that drive. It was perfect. But besides that drive, they really didn't do that consistently in the first half. So 
Um, and I think that was partly because Washington wasn't there. They, they they were not able to get the passing game going. Rutgers honed in on the on the run game, and and Penn State struggled. So uh, I'll be I'll be interested to see Sean in the bowl game. If Parker Washington doesn't play, whether it's injury or he decides to opt out, um, will Penn State against I'm assuming better talent be able to? move the ball consistently through the air. Will Keandre Lambert-Smith, will Trey Wallace, will will someone else step up at the wide receiver position? Yeah, I think it would be unwise for Parker to sit out the bowl game, regardless if he goes pro or not. Like, remember Chris Godwin before the Rose Bowl? He wasn't really projected to be a a second-round pick, and then he shot up draft boards because everybody watches the Rose Bowl. And he made himself into a second-round pick. I think he was kind of flying under the radar a little bit on that team, if you could believe that. And then, so yeah, I, I don't think that would make much sense. I, I'd also, I, I can't see Joey Porter Sr. letting Joey Porter Jr. pull a fake appendectomy. I just, I can't see that. But because that, that's a tough family, and they don't, they don't do things like that. But that's, that's my thought on that. Um, yeah, the offensive line, I think they looked like a patchwork offensive line for the first time in, in these last three weeks uh, and in the first and in, in going into the second quarter because we did have trouble establishing the run. Cliff was nearly sacked on the first drive, and then he did get sacked in the second drive, so he was a little more uncomfortable in the pocket than, than we were used to seeing him, than we were used to seeing him being. Um, but, yeah. Uh, but I think they did pull it together as the game went on, and eventually I, I think we were able to overpower them. And there were some, and it helps to have good running backs. And because again, we've seen we've seen these offenses with mediocre running backs before, with mediocre running back play before, and they're not going to really bail you out of things. And there are some times where your offensive line is struggling, but they do open up a hole. And your running back might not see it if they don't have really good vision. But these guys, if they see it, they're going to hit it. And if it's there, they're going to if it's there, they're going to see it and then they're going to hit it. So. Yeah, so eventually I think we we did just fine on offense, but it did take a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And then I mean, the only other thing is like, yeah, Nick Singleton can't fumble in that situation. Penn State got the ball. Um, It was looking better. That fumble against a good team will, will, you know, potentially change the whole outcome of that game. So uh, defense deserves a lot of credit for, for holding them and actually records end up missing the field goal. So that was big time there. Um, yeah. Let, I guess we can get into the team breakdowns here a little bit. Um, I think offensively, I think you tweeted it, Sean. I think you did that in your late, your late night thoughts. The offensive line looked like a patchwork offensive line uh, against Rutgers. Now, we knew also this was going to be the better defense that Penn State had played in the last three weeks. I mean, Rutgers' defense is significantly better than Maryland's and and Indiana. So, like, we knew it was going to be more of a challenge, but they really failed that challenge early. Um, I mean, the very first play, or I think it was the first play, Drew Shelton gets beat really bad, or maybe it was the first third down. I, I don't remember, but it was it was pretty bad. Um, and there were just moments throughout that first half where like, oh, I don't know, Bob. But um, but they got a lot of guys in as well. 
Um, I should mention Drew Shelton has burned his red shirt officially, so he's it's it's 100% done. He he's will be a sophomore next year. Um, but but offensive line wise, they eventually got it going. It it still seems to a certain degree that they don't want to play Drew Aller with a considerably worse offensive line because there's a there's another weird quote that Franklin had in a in a post game that kind of pointed to that fact and and I'm not sure if it's to the it's leaning for me at least that a Penn State's offensive line was 100% just the way it sounded from Franklin was not like maybe we let Aller play a little bit more but Clifford's got better escapability, and you could argue you want if someone's gonna get beat up, you might as well let Clifford be the guy to get beat up. Um, but I don't know. If, I mean, I don't think it's that far down, like to that extent, Sean. But it just it seems like if at the very least they had a healthier offensive line, had a better, you know, number twos, they they would consider maybe playing Drew Aller a little bit more. Then why did we keep running Drew so much? I mean, I, I guess I get the logic, but then when Drew Aller comes in, uh, I think uh, I, I think Franklin actually co- jokingly called him Lamar Aller. Like, why not just stay consistent and just keep him in the pocket when he comes in? And I'm okay with an occasional quarterback power here and there, but he ran the ball six times in less than a half. <laughs> so he was, we were really having him tote the rock, but... But I mean, hey, I mean, I'm not gonna nitpick that too hard, and and, and all that, and and I do kind of get it, like why we, why he they don't want him out there with uh, down a bunch of guys on the offensive line. I think we actually talked about this before the Indiana game, that you have to take that into consideration, but you have to also think about how good your backups are. And yeah, they were tested yesterday and they struggled early, but eventually they did get it together. And um, especially Shelton, because I mean, he's a true freshman and playing. And he's playing maybe the most difficult position on offense outside of quarterback. And, you know, you're going to struggle there when you're a Big Ten offensive tackle and it's and it's your first year and you, he's still not as strong as he's going to be, I think, next next year and the year after. So it happens. There's some growing pains, but we got through them and that's the main thing. Yeah, I, I can't really defend the the amount that Drew Aller ran there. I have no issue saying, hey, we want to see you, you know, lower your shoulder and those power formations in the goal line. And, you know, I, I I don't want to sit here and say, play Drew Aller more, get him more reps, and then say, but also don't let him get dirty because you can't have it both ways all the time. However, there is a certain, you know, there's a line between letting him, like that, he, had a, he ran that one read option for a first down. Nobody was complaining about that. But then to use him as a battering ram, like consecutive plays in a row, I was like, well, you know, I, I don't necessarily agree with that. I, yeah, I, I think it's a there's a difference between running him occasionally, still letting him kind of kind of fall forward and, and run, try to run somebody over just so he can get that experience. And he he also needs to get hit. So, like, you know, anyone that's trying to protect him to the extent of, oh, my God, don't let him get touched. Like, well. I hate to break it to everybody, but he's going to get hit next year and he's going to get up 
dazed and he's going to get up, you know, sore the next day. It's going to happen. So that that that's just how it's going to be. So you can't coddle him forever. But also, you don't necessarily have to go Will Levis on him and, and make him pound through everybody to, to try to score a touchdown to go up 48 to, or go up 55 to 10. So, yeah, you, you can do both. Um, yeah, I, I I don't know really what else to say as far as as far as using him as a battering ram like that. Um, I don't know. They just wanted to see if he had it. To be honest with you, I don't I don't know. But I think I think it's a Franklin thing. I think this is just what he likes quarterbacks to do. See, yeah. but but okay. Well, first of all, he's not calling the plays. So let. No, but he that. does have influence over the plays, and he, well, could, I, he could say we're not running Drew Aller quarterback powers in the fourth quarter against Rutgers. Well, yeah, that that's what I'm really saying. Because like, there's a like we can have the conversation. I think we will later. As far as like overarchingly having Franklin's quarterbacks being on a run, I think that's different conversation than running him when they decided to run him at that point in the game. Unless they're taking this whole approach as when Drew Aller comes to the game, it's zero zero, and we're gonna we're gonna get him ready as if you know, as if he came in and it was, it was zero, zero. We're going to run plays that we think he's going to benefit from. If you're going to make that argument, I I guess you can, you can make it. I, we don't agree with that, but, um, but there's a difference between that and that situation. And I agree with you. Franklin can say, let's not do that right now, please. And overall the, the plan moving forward with Drew Aller, I guess there's a difference there, but, but yeah. Um, I don't. I, I don't have him running back to back. I, I think he ran three of the last four plays there in the goal line. I think. So, um, besides that, like I said, the 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 receivers didn't overall impress me very much. Um, I do want to give credit to Yursich on the two wrinkles out of the trot one formation. He went. He 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 broke out the the uh, uh, the shift again. Like they did against Ohio State, but then they ran a bunch of crossing patterns to the right side, and then they leaked out Warren to the left, and nobody went with him. That was good patience by by Clifford, good blocking actually on that play too, and it was an easy touchdown. So that was beautiful. And then they also just straight out threw out of the trot line formation, um, which we hadn't seen yet. So th- so we saw both of those things, which was nice too. Um, I should also finally mention, we should have started off the podcast by this. Penn State scores 55 points, and this is episode 55, which I don't know what the universal... They, knew. They, they must have known. And we should give credit to somebody literally in the bowl predictions, and, and I don't know if I still... Maybe I still... I don't think I still have them. Um, let me see. Maybe I do. I don't think I do. Um Somebody in the bold predictions said that Penn State was going to drop 50 points on Saturday, and they were right. Shout out to them. Shout out to them. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't think anybody saw the two defensive touchdowns coming and the um, special teams touchdown coming. And I kind of thought that there was a chance that we could struggle a bit offensively. Like you said, the, the receivers, I mean, t- I thought Tinsley played, played a pretty good game. Um, I thought he had some good moments, uh, but yeah, overall they were kind of, kind of mediocre, um, to, to be completely honest. Uh, Caden Saunders didn't play. 
which kind of I think they're trying to preserve his red shirt, which I which I do understand. And I think if Parker is out for the rest of the year, I think we could still play Caden Saunders in one more game. So maybe if we need him for the bowl game, maybe if he has a good couple weeks practice, maybe two games. He's got two. He has two games. So maybe see him next week too. Um, but Michigan State is a pretty bad football team. They just lost to the Hoosiers um, at home. So not great. Not great. Jack, Tough losing. Jack Molesky was uh, the guy with the uh, the bold prediction, by the way. Shout out to you, Jack. Um, yeah. Yeah, so the t- I did like that we finally threw out of the shot wine formation because I have been waiting for that. And it's been such an effective formation all year long. And I thought by at some point we were going to see us throw out of it. I thought maybe they'd wait till the bowl game, but they decided to to do it then. And I'm fine with that because defense is, I, I guarantee you defense coordinators are looking at that and they're like, we have to prepare for the pass. And even though we've ran the ball all the time and it's, you know, I saw a picture on Twitter and it was from the 30s or 40s. And it was the T formation. It was exactly the formation we run. And it's so old. And it's something that used to, that used, that used to be run a lot when teams would only throw the ball like three or four times a game. Uh, and it was commonplace back then. So it's just interesting that it's new, but it's old. So I guess you could call it retro. And it's been, it's been super effective for us all year. And this is going to be something that I think we take into next year. I bet defenses will will study. I, I bet defenses will study it and try to come up with ways to stop it because we really had success against pretty much everybody with it. Like, I bet West Virginia, when they're preparing for us the first game, they're probably going to dedicate a lot of time to studying how to stop it because it's been so effective for us. But I really... I think when you have to, it, it really, I mean, the, the, the design is great and everything, but when you have two backs like Singleton and, and um, Allen on the field at the same time, no matter what formation you run out of, it's going to be tough to stop because those two guys, if the hole is there and you're going to have three tight ends blocking for you, yeah, all you got to do is create a little bit of space and they're gone. And everybody's playing so far up in the box and if they make one or two guys, if, if everybody blocks the right guy, if a guy on defense misses his assignment or, or Singleton or Allen make the miss, they're going to go to the house. So this is going to be something that's going to be a staple in the offense, I think, for the next few years to come and maybe beyond. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I agree with that. Um, other couple of wrinkles. We saw Brent Strange get a little jet sweep handoff. Didn't didn't work, but that was cool to see. Uh, on that same play, we actually saw Catron Allen line up at the wing wing posi- wing back position there. So they had Allen and Singleton both in at the same time. So we hadn't seen that before. So that was well, we've seen them on the field before, but not not that formation. Um, I thought that was there's something another wrinkle, but no, I'm not sure. So. Um, but yeah, so th- those two things were also those were also new. Kaytron Allen, eleven carries, 117 yards, averaged 10.6 yards per carry, and he's supposed to be the he's not even supposed to be the uh, explosive back. Nick Singleton only had nine carries for 62 yards. He averaged 6.9 yards per carry. 
Um, again, that one fumble. And Sean Clifford, seven carries for 35 yards and a touchdown. The touchdown by Clifford on the run was an audible by him. He, they had them all spaced out, and he audibled, and it's the same exact play they scored against Auburn. It was a thing of beauty. wasn't touched. Um, I mean, that was – that was just gorgeous. So it was, the, the, it was like Moses opened up the the sea and he just he just walked himself right into the end zone. So that was nice. Um, Ten different players for Penn State caught a pass on Saturday. Khalil Dinkins got a catch for eight yards. Uh, was that that I don't that wasn't the one out of the trot one formation, was it? I don't know if it was. It wasn't. But I don't uh, think so. Okay. Uh, Liam Clifford. I think that was Warren out of the trot one. I think. Okay. I think you're right too. Um, Liam Clifford caught a pass from Sean Clifford. So there's the Clifford to Clifford connection. Um, I'm not sure that it already happened, but I think it had. But now it's definitely in the book. Uh, Amari Evans caught one pass for 11 yards. Um, I don't think that's really all I wanted to really highlight. I, I should say Trey Wallace had two pretty big ca- – I mean, all three of his catches were pretty solid. But he had two really big catches over the middle. Um, so that was that was nice to see him get – Get some extra stuff. One went for 25 yards, which was the longest pass play of the day for Penn State. So that so that was good to see as well. Yeah, yeah. I thought I thought Harrison Wallace. I, I should have highlighted him when I was on all the receivers. I thought he had a nice game, and um, I know they tried to go to Lambert Smith early on some on some wide receiver screens. None of them really worked. Uh, he only he had three catches for nine yards. That was only three yards a catch. So obviously you want more explosiveness there. Um, yeah. So overall, offense, while they struggled in the first half, ended up kicking it into high gear a little bit in the second half. 237 rushing yards. Uh, we really struggled on third down early. I think we were 0 for five on our first five third downs, but we ended up four or sixteen. So the rest of the game, I don't know. You guys do the math. I, I think that's. I think that's a average per percentage the rest of the game after that 0 for 5. Um, yeah, so and time of possession for you time of possession people out there. We had the ball at 30 minutes, 23 seconds. They added 29 minutes, 37 seconds. So it was pretty even. And so time of possession really doesn't mean a whole lot when you're making plays on defense and special teams. Yeah, I was going to say the fact that that was even that close when Penn State had three touchdowns, not and not not just that, but they also had the interception that was pretty much, for all intents and purposes, a, another uh, touchdown for the defense. It would have been if Kaziah Izzer doesn't decapitate the 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 offensive lineman on the return by Johnny Dixon. Which, by the way, Johnny Dixon played that perfectly, and that was an easy catch. Um, shout out to Dom DeLuca for the forced fumble. Uh, Marquise Wilson might have got that ball starting to lose, but it was really Dom DeLuca's hit that really got that ball out of there. Um, and picked up by Kobe King for a touchdown. I Someone said after the game that it was Kobe King's first touchdown. I think Jair Brown was interviewed afterwards. Um, no, I'm sorry. It was Curtis Jacobs, because they asked Curtis Jacobs who, if he still has the best defensive touchdown, and he said, yes, I do. Um, but he said it was King's first touchdown, and I don't know. Obviously, it was King's first touchdown in his collegiate career, but the way they said it made it almost seem like maybe that was his first ever in his life, but not 100% sure there. Um, third down, I, I for, they said at one point, Sean, that in the broadcast that 
the teams were combined 0 and 16 for third down. So I think it actually ended up getting like 0 to 7 or 0 to 8 for Penn State. Um, but yeah, they ended wow. up finishing four of 16 for just 25. percent That was one of the things I actually had was they they were two for two on fourth down, so that makes it a little bit better. But um, but yeah, uh, Robert Parker on YouTube. Which by the way, if you're on YouTube, make sure to say hi, say where you're listening from, uh, and also make sure to like and subscribe. Robert Parker says, my one big complaint on the offense is I still don't know what the identity of your Sitch's scheme is. Are we power spread vertical West Coast? Um, I think that's why we struggle so much in the first quarter is because we're we're throwing darts hoping to find the weakness. You know, to a certain degree, I think there's 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 a point there. Um, I think it's also really nice to be able to be balanced and be able to attack in different ways. Um, I think you. I think you want to be able to run the football early. And I think that we've seen them, especially in the first drive of games, really attempt to try to establish the run, whether it's worked or not. Um, however, I think they've had more success, Sean, on offense early in the game, coming out, throwing the football. Um, not throwing it deep, but coming out and dinking and dunking it and then letting that set up the run game. When they come out and try to just run the rock right off the bat, they, they usually don't have very much success. Yeah, I think if you were to ask Franklin or Yersich what the identity would be, I think they would say, we're going to run the ball at you, play action fake, and then try to kind of soften you up with the run game and then beat you with the pass game too. So I think it's just balance, complement, complementing the, the run game with the pass game. Uh, but I do, under, I do understand what you mean by that because it's not like with Jomo, it was obviously a spread. I mean – it was the most spread offense of all time. It was so spread that we never even went under center. <laughs> so it was pretty easy to, to, to figure out the identity then. Uh, with, you know, with Jay, it was the spread HD. I'm still trying to figure out what that means. But I think he was trying to do a spread offense. So Up today? <laughs> I'm just going over it. And then with VOB, it was a pro-style offense. So I think... You know, maybe they would say they're a pro-style offense, but I still wouldn't say they're a pro-style offense. So, I don't know, to be honest with you. I think just run the ball and then have the run set up everything. And that's something that's a little divergent from what uh, Yursich has done at Oklahoma State because they ran so much. So much uh, it, it was a classic Big 12 offense, you know what I mean? But really, you could say that was Mike Gundy's offense, which I think is fair because Mike Gundy is is an offensive guy and he's more hands-on with the offense than I think even James Franklin is. Uh, And James Franklin himself is an offensive guy. But Franklin tends to let his coordinators do their thing. So that's probably what I would say in response to that. Yeah. I I also can say if you can have the same personnel on the field – and be able to be a power offense or be a spread offense at the same time, that makes it extremely difficult for the defense to figure out their own personnel grouping. So if you can have, you know, a a 22 personnel or 21 personnel and you can spread them out and that's, that that's going to create a lot of mismatches uh, for their defense to try to figure out. So having that versatility, is something that you're not going to go away from. Although I agree at times, it'd be nice to just, you know, I guess the question for, for Robert Parker I have is, would you rather just be 
a spread offense like Jomo or a ground and pound offense like Wisconsin and have an identity for better or worse? Or would you rather the versatility? And I guess my answer would be I'd rather have that versatility. I would rather have the ability to beat teams through the air if we need to and be able to pound teams in a submission if we need to. Now, can we get better at it? Yes. But I think I, I think I would rather be maybe a little less consistent, but to have that versatility instead. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I think I think that's a good way to sum it up. Uh, let's switch over to defense, uh, Sean. And the defense ended up with 15 TFLs. They had four sacks. They had three turnovers. And they scored two touchdowns. So you, is, is I, that good? It's not bad. It, it's really not bad. It's I, I don't know how many TFLs. I guess I could figure it out real quick that they had in the Maryland game. But I'm assuming I'm going to make the assumption that it's back to back to back weeks where they had over 10 TFLs. I think that's a pretty safe assumption. Probably. Uh, yeah. Um. Which is just nuts. I mean, they've been living in in, in opponents' backfields, and, and I really thought maybe they would be. I mean, they were at ten before before halftime. So I'm just, if they wanted to, they probably could have broken the school record of sixteen, which they tied against Indiana this year. Um, just, I mean, they're they're living in the backfield, and the defensive line's looking really good. Beeman looked really good. Um, Nick Tarburton, I thought had a really good day. But it, the defensive line is just so – it's not one person, Sean, that sticks. It's just, oh, that guy made a play. Oh, that guy now made a play. It's it's consistently somebody different. I, I would even argue, and I don't want to get shot for this, that P.J. Mustafer really hasn't had that great of a season. But he hasn't even really needed to have that great of a season because of the ability – like Izzard and Devon Ellis and Beeman – and Zane Durant and to maybe a little bit lesser extent Vandenberg have all played pretty well for the most part. And and that's that's nice to see when again you have that ability, you have that depth, it makes a difference. Yeah, I mean, I think PJ kind of opens things up for other people because he's such a massive person. And I mean that the best way possible, of course. And he kind of and you kind of have to account for him because he takes up so much space and look he could still make plays i just god i wish he didn't get hurt last year because he was on the path to being and he was having such a great year last year before he got hurt so maybe he's not even 100 percent healthy yet so that's a possibility but i think the rest of the defensive line has really grown uh and i'm excited that we get smith wilder back i think next year i think he's going to come back uh I agree with you. I think Beeman had a good game. Vanover did some good things. Um, and the and the linebackers help out, obviously. Uh, but a lot of times, linebacker play is helped by defensive line play, and they open up things for the linebackers and, and all that. So, yeah, uh, Devon Ellis, I, I've been pretty impressed by his growth this year in particular. I think he's gotten a lot better from last year. And... And yeah, uh, Tar Burton had four tackles again. So 
So, yeah, I think the defensive line did have – I agree with you. I think they did have a good game. Uh, Hakeem Beeman was was disruptive, too, from that defensive tackle spot. Uh, could Beeman conceivably get drafted next year? I think he is draft eligible, correct? I don't think he'll go, but – Yes, he, he 100% can go if he wants to. Yeah, because, I mean, he is very athletic, and he is disruptive. But I do wonder about his size, so – I think it would be better off for him to stick around, but just curious about that. Yeah, no, I agree there. And of course, I assumed and I was wrong. Penn State only had nine TFLs against Maryland. So egg in my face. It's usually how that works. Um, we had a ton of sacks, though. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we, we talked linebackers quite a bit. I, I think King is playing. I really had is having a really good month in November. Very impressed there. We, we talked extensively about Carter. I'm not going to talk about Sutherland because I don't really want him to. Um, Tyler Elsden, I think there was a play he missed in this game, and I, I couldn't even tell you right off the top of my head right now, but it was early on. I think he missed the tackle or something. And I was like, well, you you really want to make that play, but I, cu- I couldn't even tell you when it happened. I just I, just sticking out in my memory a little bit. Um, I, th- I thought Johnny Dixon played really well with JPJ out. I thought King played really well. Um, like he always has been. There was only bad play was on that crossing route touchdown where Penn State was in man coverage and playing man coverage against crossing routes is very difficult. And Kalen King just, I mean, he, he just lost his guy. I don't know if he thought he was going to get help. Someone was going to pick it up over the top, but nobody did. And it was it was an easy touchdown for Rucker. So that was maybe the one mishap as far as in the secondary goes. But otherwise. They did a really good job. They held Rutgers to under 100 yards in the first half when it's all said and done. Um, there was an opportunity for Rutgers to hit on a couple screens that their quarterback, Gavin Wimsat, just straight up missed. Um, so that was, I mean, I think that was more of Penn State just being so aggressive than anything else. But if they hit on those, you could argue it's a slightly different game. Maybe Rutgers gets to 17, maybe it gets to 24. I mean, those were... Theoretically, they might have scored on both of those screen passes. I mean, there was one or two guys in in the secondary left, and there's blockers in front. Um, so, th- so that would have been interesting. Uh, Keaton Ellis, I thought, had some nice plays here and there. So that was that was also nice to see. Um, and and then of course Jair Brown doing Jair Brown things, Sean. Yeah, we're gonna miss Jagger Brown next year. There's no question about that. Um, I, I think the one slant, uh, Dixon blitzed, and he was a little—he was like a tad late, but I don't even think he was that late because they just threw a slant right where Dixon vacated. So, yeah, that was that was the one thing. One. Yeah, that was the one thing with him. But yeah, we're gonna miss him, man. <laughs> and I really love this defense coming back, uh, but I just wish there was a way to have take back for. Uh, seventh year whatever <laughs> but there's yeah that. and he's I, gonna I, I, I was just gonna say on, on twitter i said this because i started thinking about this seriously and if someone else knows of somebody that's been more disruptive or been able to get more turnovers let us know but in a penn state career jair brown is going to end up with roughly i think right now he's at 15 turnovers total like forced fumbles, fumble recoveries, and interceptions. He's at 15. Neil Harris has the Penn State record for interceptions at 19. Don't know how many fumble recoveries or forced fumbles he had in his career. But I'm just thinking Jair Brown's probably going to finish top five in total turnovers 
for for a Penn State player in just two seasons, which is just which is just insane for not, you know, again, a guy that wasn't even offered anything coming out of college. It's just nuts. Three years. Sorry. Thank you. Yeah. Three, three, two oh, four yeah, years. Yeah. yeah. And, and then, yeah, it's just, uh, it's just nuts to me that he's been able to be around the football that much. I mean, to have that, I mean, it's one thing to have one good season. Right. I mean, you could argue it's a little bit of luck to have a couple interceptions, whatever. I mean, the dude has made a he's made a lot of money based off of how many turnovers he's been able to accumulate here at Penn State. Yeah, the Lackawanna guys, I mean, they've been so productive for us, especially the guys in the secondary and uh, Lackawanna. For those of you who don't know, it's about a five minute walk from my house. So. That's cool too. And the Falcons are always really good. And Coach Duda and Franklin have a have go back a long way. So that's how we're able to get so many guys. But they're such high character, low maintenance guys. And they ball out on the field. So I think that's a big compliment to what they do at Lackawanna. Uh but yeah, anyway, outside of him, uh Dom DeLuca, again, another local guy by me, uh had a sack. Uh God, I, I think he really might be the fourth best the fourth best linebacker on the team. I really do. And he's only a and he's a walk-on. So I expect him, if not next year, but the next year after to get a scholarship because I think he is a scholarship guy. I think he is a guy that could come off the bench for you in Big Ten play and you don't really you're not really panicked. I mean, at a certain point you gotta just say the guy's pretty good. And He's disruptive. He makes he always makes tackles. I mean, he is he a great athlete? No, but he is in the right place nine times out of ten. So you have to give him and he makes plays. So you have to give him his flowers on that. Um yeah, the and the secondary overall overall had a good game. Uh we should have had another pick six, like I said, if Kazai doesn't have uh the I actually didn't even see the block, um, but from what I understand, it was pretty obvious that it should have came back. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, it, it wasn't much to argue. Yeah, I didn't get to see the replay on it. So, um, and KJ Winston is a guy to watch for next year. He had a few Big tackles. Hit. Big yes. hit on one of them. And I think he's going to play a lot next year. I don't know if he'll start because that safety room, even after Tig leaves, is pretty deep. But he's going to play a lot. And I think you have to watch out for him uh, getting big time, um, you know, significant time going into next year. Uh, he was a guy I really liked out of high school, too. So I would keep an eye on uh, Mr. Winston. Yeah, I'm just going to mention, as far as Dom DeLuca goes, I, I didn't know this. And, and maybe, Sean, you had said it before and I just wasn't listening. But I didn't realize that Dom DeLuca tore his ACL in the state championship game. And and then and stayed in the game and and I think he had two or three touchdowns in their win in the state championship. They talked about that on the broadcast and I was like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, and and like you said, Sean, like he is in the position more times than not. And to be honest, with you, that's like eighty percent of football is just being where you're supposed to be. So um, that yeah, I I don't see how honestly with, with the transfer portal nowadays and scholarships most likely freeing up. I would be very surprised if if Dom DeLuca does not have a scholarship next semester. Seriously. I I mean, I, I really don't see how it's spot. I mean, he is, like you said, I mean, going in, 
let's just assume, let's just say Curtis Jacobs does leave um, and Sutherland's gone. You could argue, and, and I don't necessarily think Jacobs is, but just for the sake of argument, you could argue that Don DeLuca's, you know, definitely top three linebacker coming back next year, which in, in the world of transfer portal, if Pense doesn't put him on a scholarship, if you're, you're Dom DeLuca, you're like, well, I might go somewhere where I don't have to pay. I mean, seriously, like there's there's schools in a Big Ten that would take Dom DeLuca in a heartbeat right now. So um, and, and we didn't even talk about his his ability to do things on special teams. Um, I do want to say also Kobe King had that scoop and score for a touchdown. The very next well, two plays, I guess, technically on the kickoff, Kobe King makes a tackle, which I think is an important thing. No one else is probably going to read too much into it. But it it's one thing to take a playoff after you scored a touchdown to feel good about yourself and be like, yeah, I got it. To scream down the field and then make the tackle, I think speaks volumes about the person that Kobe King is. So that was I was very impressed with something like that. Um, just another random thing because I, I for some reason I actually remember a lot more about this game than I, I usually do. Abdul Carter sprinted to the end zone on that Jair Brown fumble return for a touchdown. I think that just kind of shows you the overall camaraderie of the team. Just, just that they're that happy and they're that excited to be the playing the way they are. Daquan Hardy had a great block, by the way, on that to, to make sure Brown wasn't caught from behind before he kind of got in the gear. Um, but just stuff like that, that tells you the health of the team as far as mental, like where they're at psychologically. And I, I think right now they are, they are in a really good, they're in a really good spot. So um, overall, defensively, hard to, hard to really say that they're not playing their best football right now, which you always want to be playing your best football yeah. towards the end of the year. Can I give you a hypothetical? Oh, you know, we love hypotheticals. All right. I'm going to, but assume, I'm, I'm going to put a hypothetical on top of a hypothetical, though. Let's say. Hypothetical sandwich on a Sunday morning? Yes. Yes. I want to, I want to test your brain this Sunday. Um, Let's say the offensive line was only down one guy. Let's say Olu and Tangwall were both playing. And next week, instead of playing Michigan State, we had Michigan. How much different is that game than earlier in the year? I want to start off by saying I think that game eight out of 10 times is different than it was when Penn State played Michigan. Truthfully, I'm not saying Penn State wins that game, but I think right. for the most part, Penn State plays better than what they did against Michigan. I, I still, we went through the film before. I think I was kind of a quicksand game for them. And like I said, they still had a lead in the third quarter. Um, I think just from the fact that Manny Diaz doesn't have two weeks to overthink something helps in your hypothetical situation but no i mean as far as the linebacker play go that you mentioned you got to feel a lot better about going up against a michigan of the world right now um if it's a home game i i think penn state probably wins it to be honest with you maybe that's a homerish thing of me Ooh. if it's a home game i think penn state probably wins it if it's a neutral site game i probably think it's a it's a less than a touchdown game so but that that's just that's just the way it is. I mean, I, you can't yeah, argue, you play them when you play them. You you really can't look at this right now and say there's very many teams in the country that are playing better football than Penn State right now. 
I mean, you can look at the the competition level if you want, but they have dominated pretty much the last 12 quarters of football. And really, if you even go to the Ohio State game, they've dominated the last 15 quarters of uh, of of football out of 16. And in a world, Sean, maybe I should have started off with this. Maybe I go to my screen. Um, in a week where a lot of teams weren't playing their best football, maybe peeking ahead a little bit, a lot of scares, a couple upsets, Penn State continued to dominate. And that means something. Is it something you should really hold on to forever? No. But it meant something that they were able to, again, dominate on the road in the Big Ten. People want to talk about, oh, they need to have that those signature wins. They need to have those splash plays and, and, and those top ten wins. Absolutely. They need to. They need to get more of those. No one is going to argue that. But at the same token, you, you also have to consistently beat the teams you're supposed to beat. And they're doing that right now. And you should never, never, ever get bored of blowing out conference opponents on the road. And that's what Penn State did on Saturday. Okay. Okay. So it sounds like you think it would be different. Let's say we played Ohio State. How much different do you think it is? See, that's to me one where I think overall Penn State played better. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't think Penn State plays that good against Ohio State every time. So to, to me, that one is more of like 50-50, it goes better. 50-50, it goes worse, to be honest with you. Like, Understood. I, I, I don't think Penn, you could really go back to that game. I mean, yeah, they could obviously play better in his last nine minutes. But as far as like complaining, as far as like hypothetically, could have they played better the whole game? I'm not really sure they could have. I mean, you could... You could argue that maybe they don't hold Ohio State to field goals as much as they did. You could argue maybe they miss one of those tackles on, on a bubble screen and it goes for a bigger play. Um, you would hope, you would think that maybe JTT doesn't have a game like that. And and if everything else was consistent up to that point, Penn State wins. Yeah. Um, maybe there isn't a tipped interception early. Um, all those things. But... Um, no, I, I would feel better. I would feel better about the Michigan game going better than necessarily the Ohio State game going better. I do too. I do too. Because the first three quarters, they wouldn't have played any better than they did. They just wouldn't have that. Maybe they would have played better in the fourth quarter. And look, maybe the fourth quarter debacle would have still happened. But I don't know. I, I think it would go about the same. Maybe we win, maybe we lose. Uh, I think with if you eliminate the interceptions, if you eliminate the turnovers, we probably still beat Ohio State a few weeks ago. But that's not the way. That's not the way it goes. Uh, the Michigan game, yeah, I I do think we would have played better. Uh, I it kind of kind of reminds me of 2016, in that I was convinced like by the end of the year we would have beaten Michigan. I don't know if we would have beaten Mich. I don't know if we would have beat Michigan this year, especially at their house. Um, but it's a much, much closer game, and they struggle with Illinois. But even though I think Illinois is a good, I think Illinois is a, it matches up well with them. Um, they still needed a last-second kick. 
maybe you could chalk that up to looking ahead at Ohio State. I think that's fair, but they haven't looked as good as Penn State has looked this past month. And they've been playing very, very similar competition. So I agree. I agree. And and there's an offensive pass interference on that drive for Michigan to win that game that was egregious. I mean, I was fired up because I'm not saying Penn State would have won. That's not what I said in the tweet. But that was a very big offensive pass interference call against Penn State on a third down that they converted when that game was still less than a touchdown difference. And so to have Michigan have a much, much more obvious offensive pass interference called um, not called that, that, that had me fired up yesterday. Um, let's talk special teams real quick. Jake Pinniger kicks a couple of field goals. Xander Sahadak kicked a chip shot field goal. So that was nice to see him get a, get a field goal. Um, punting. Not great. Barney Moore did have one rocket of a punt, 58-yard punt inside the five, and that was his last one. So we got to give him credit for getting back on track. But he was actually benched in this game because he had three really awful punts. And Alex Pachetta came in, and I think Pachetta Pachetta actually has a better leg, perhaps, when he makes when he makes uh, proper contact than Barney or Moore. But Sean, I don't know if you realize this. He definitely takes an extra like second to get the ball off. I, he definitely, I just, it seems like when he, and he also fumbled a snap that, which was offsides, thank God, but that, that could have changed the game. But I feel like Paquetta just had a, he held onto the ball like for another heartbeat before he, he was able to punt it away. And, and Rutgers is actually close a couple times to getting a block. Um, and Franklin said they got to be better and that they're going to kind of, uh, compare the situation look you know closely that situation moving forward yeah maybe that's a freshman thing because i kind of noticed it too and maybe he has to have more awareness that it's not high school anymore and you have to be able to get the punt off and you can't just take your sweet whole time with it but he'll learn he's a he's he's a young guy he's going to be our puncher the next three years so just like aller is going to be our quarterback we kind of know Paquette is going to be the the puncher next year um yeah, and maybe Barney. Did, sometimes guys Wait respond. Wait a second. Are you are you saying we need to start? We need to start start Alex Paqueta chance just so he's prepared for next year. Is that what you're saying? Are we have punter yeah, controversy? I, I I think so. I think so because you got to just prepare for next year. Um, <laughs> I mean, I think if we had Alex Paqueta, do we beat Ohio State, Michigan? We're we're gonna start that what if here. <laughs> uh, that was a good one. <laughs> a lot, lot of, lot of hot takes coming from, from us today. Uh, but anyway, maybe Barney needed to be sacked out. Uh, maybe sometimes that gets, gets gets a lot out of guys when they get benched. He's probably you know pissed off and he's like, oh, and, but and he really kicked the stuffing out of the ball. So, um, and he and it was just like we were seeing him at the beginning of the year punt to about the five and it just checks up right where you want. It's like a flop shot in golf. So nice to see, nice to see him, uh, nice to see him end the game and his game like that. Uh, Pinniger was good again, uh, one for one. And then Sanders Sahada came in and made his field goal. So Sanders probably going to be the kicker the next few years. So does that mean we should. Does that mean if Sanders Sahadak was the kicker, he would have beat Michigan? My column. Yeah. <laughs> you know, 
Although you could make argue, more arguments for kickers, but that that game was not decided because of the kicker. Just want to Pin- so Pinnegar, yeah. I mean, it would be interesting to see if Pinnegar decides to come back, which I he mean, might. I still think he's going to end up having a Robbie Gold type NFL career, just based off of his. I mean, it's really hard to argue how how well he's been. And of course, special teams wise, we got to talk about the kick return for a touchdown. I don't know, Sean. I know that they blocked the Ohio or they blocked the Ohio State Saquon Barkley return pretty well. I don't really know if I have ever seen a kick return blocked that well. I mean, not only was Nick Singleton not touched, nobody was even close to him. I mean, it's one thing for him to be really fast and he just outruns a couple of people because he's that quick. I would argue. There's probably four or five people on the Penn State team that probably scored a touchdown on that play, at least. I mean, nobody, nobody was in. There was a highway down the middle. Of the, I, I seriously was like wanted to go back and look to see if Rutgers had 11 people on the field because I think I may have saw like three or four in the camera the whole time. I mean, it was just holy crap, Sean. It was, it was, it was Penn State really needed it. it. It really got the things going. But I mean, I think even Franklin called it a thing of beauty afterwards. Yeah, Franklin was elated. You could tell like he was really, really happy for Stacy Collins and the special teams unit as a whole because, according to him, uh, they were very close on breaking a couple of them early in the year, and they just either just couldn't hold a block quite long enough, or you know, or one thing or another, and they couldn't get one. So this this kick return unit really, really wanted one this year. And they got one. So, you know, credit to Singleton for taking it back. But, yeah, it was well blocked. And for a coach to call something a thing of beauty in a press conference, like, that's the highest praise you could possibly get from a head coach, I think. Because typically they're measured in press conferences and everything. But you could tell James Franklin was stoked for uh, for Stacey Collins' group. Yeah, and I guess on the flip side of that, they did allow a really long return on the, the very right after it. right after yeah and so that that needs to be cleaned up but Krushank is a really good returner and they did a pretty good job kicking away from him i mean the one play to start the second half they literally hit the pylon which was which is very impressive uh but for the most part they did a good job but yeah you you, you don't want to have that one that one mishap there um but but otherwise i thought that was fine I think that's all the special teams I really want to cover. Is it you got anything else, Sean? Uh, no, I don't think so. I mean, it was overall a good day. Like you said, you don't want to give up that kick return like we did, but overall there's not much to complain about. And while I'm also excited for Drew Aller in the future and all these young guys, Sanders Hadak and Alex Paquetta are included in that. So nice to nice to see them get some valuable time yesterday. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's. Um, I I think I had on the schedule a five star review. I don't. I think I read the last one off last time, so I I actually don't think we have a five star review to read. We're at ninety four still. We're six. I don't away. think you read this one, Corey. Oh, really? No, because I remember you saying ninety three last time. Okay. Well, I, I can read it, but I do not have it, uh, graphic ready. But I can read it. And this was it's short and sweet, very simple, which just goes to show that it's very easy. To, uh, to take five seconds to do it. Um, and we'll send you a sticker and obviously read it on the show. So this is from 
Phil M. Devout Overnighter. And he says, great pod. Five stars. Love the insight, fellas. Short and sweet to the point. We appreciate it. Um, Phil, let us know. DM us. I don't think you've reached out yet as far as getting yourself a sticker. So make sure you do that. Um, Thank you. Big, yeah, Big Ten Pick'em was a little tumultuous. I haven't actually done the, the stats yet. But um, I guess Nebraska ended up losing Wisconsin. But that was that was close. Obviously, the Indiana one is going to hurt people's pick them a little bit with the upset win over Michigan State. Um, I think a lot of people took Minnesota to beat Iowa. They listened to you, and they shouldn't have. Should have listened yeah, to me. Yeah, sorry about that, guys. And Iowa makes me disgusted. Has a chance to – they beat um, – Purdue? Nebraska. 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 If they beat Nebraska, they go they go to the Big Ten Championship, which is just outrageously That's disgusting. Pathetic. That they, they have a chance to even do that with that offense and how poorly they've played early in the year. I, they will be able to go to the Big Ten Championship. Um, but, yeah, so we'll get to pick them out. To be honest with you, the pick them probably won't be out till Sunday or Monday um, for, for this next week, but we'll, we'll get there. Um, but, yeah, thank you for the five-star review. I think we're ready for fi- uh, for some fan questions, Sean. And Let's then we'll wrap it. up with some bold predictions and, and we'll go from there. So uh, I guess we'll get right into the Drew Aller questions because we know you like those. Uh, so fan question time. This one's from Lucas Powers. Why does Franklin love running the quarterback so much? Is it really worth the risk to design runs for Aller when we know he's a passer? Um, Sean, I'm going to take the lead on this one. If that's cool. Right. So, I think James Franklin is always going to want his quarterback to be able to threaten defenses with their legs. Whether or not that's necessarily the best thing. I agree with Franklin, by the way. I think your quarterback needs to have some threat to run the ball in 2022. That's just kind of how it is. He doesn't have to be a fantastic runner. doesn't need to be a Hendon hooker which I hope his knee's okay. Um, but that was just the first quarterback I thought of. Um, but at least needs to be to like the Joe Burrow level of running, which is really just I can scramble if you play man coverage and no one, no one's going to cover or no one's going to spy me, et cetera. No one's going to contain me. I, I can take off if I need to. And I think that's where Drew Aller is. Um, we've made the joke about Josh Allen comparison a lot, but he had that one run where literally he he does drag people. And so I don't think Franklin plans to run him like the same way they ran Trace McSorley, but he is a strong physical running quarterback and to not use him at all, I think would be incorrect, not just because he's has that ability, but also because I think it, it limits the offense a little bit. It stresses the defense when you have a quarterback that can at least hurt them somewhat in 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 the running game so that's one part of it we've already talked about maybe we don't do that against Rutgers when it's 48 to 10 but I think you are going to see Jaraller run a little bit because it it makes it easier for the running backs it makes it easier for the RPO game and getting the ball out to the tight ends because those linebackers have to pay attention a little bit more not just to the running back but to the quarterback 
Um, but but let's also remember that this is Mike Gersich's offense. And if it's what we've seen him do at Oklahoma State and to a certain degree at Texas and to a certain degree at Ohio State, then you're going to see Drew Aller throw the ball a lot more than you're going to see him run it. I, I think what we saw on Saturday was an anomaly. I think Penn State was trying to get Drew Aller some decent reps while still running somewhat of an offense, but still kind of putting the game away. Like you can't come out and throw the ball 30 times to Drew Aller and and just choke it, you know, chalk it up to, oh, we're just getting him ready for next year. That still doesn't look still a little disrespectful, in my opinion. So you find different ways to get Drew Aller some meaningful time without necessarily throwing the ball 20 times. And and I think they did that. So it, it's not perfect, but I wouldn't I'm not raising the red flag, Sean, yet on, oh, no, they're going to try to run Drew Aller way too much and he's going to get hurt. Because let's be honest, a lot of the reasons why Penn State wasn't successful from 2017 to 2021 was because their quarterbacks couldn't stay healthy. And and Franklin has noted that. Franklin has said that before. So I don't I don't think you're going to see, you know, Drew Aller running for 10 times a game next season. I, I'm not ready to, to throw up the red flag yet, Sean. Yeah, I mean, I hope not. I, I hope that's not what happens. Um, yeah, does Franklin like a running quarterback? He, he does. I mean, that's he, he even tried to run Hackenberg at times. <laughs> yeah, but, but again, I mean, their offensive line was so bad. You got to try to you got to try to. No, just... I, I get that. But I'm saying that's the style. He yeah. likes a running quarterback. He did a Vandy. Uh, his guys at Vandy like to run. Um, I think it's important that you play to your quarterback strengths and in general. So if your guy can't run, well, then you got to try to build a brick wall around him and you have to hope that he's good in the pocket and navigates around the pocket. Uh, Aller, I believe, is a little more elusive than we thought. And I did think he was good in the pocket, but I think he's a little more, he does have a little more elusiveness. Uh, and he's, and he's so big, like big Ben for years and years took a lot of hits for you Steeler fans out there. Now at the end of his career, did it, did some of those hits catch up to him? I think they did, but for about 10 years, they really, they really didn't. And then he got nicked as, as his career went on. Um, so yeah, there, I think it's going to be a lot like how, at least how I hope it is a lot like how the Steelers used Ben in that they would run him a few times a game, but it wasn't something they heavily depended on. Uh, is it really worth risk? Uh, no, not yesterday. It wasn't worth the risk, um, in, in my mind, but yeah, if we want to run him a few times a game, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with running a quarterback power here and there. I'm okay with running a read option here and there. Uh, even like if you, if you look at really good college quarterbacks over the past few years, and I'm not even talking about guys like Kyler Murray or, you know, Hendon Hooker or, you know what I mean? I'm talking about guys like Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence would take it and run sometimes. He had a long run against Ohio State in the semifinals game that he took for a touchdown. Joe Burrow would take would take the ball and run. So I'm not saying he just he can't run the ball at all, but. I really don't want him running the ball six times and a half, especially when we're blowing another team out. Yeah. But like Corey said, I think there's a good chance that was an anomaly. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. Deshaun Watson comes to mind too. Not, not really a running quarterback, but he could do enough if he needed to. Um, the one call that really didn't make much sense to me was the quarterback sneak. Uh, it was like three yards. I, I don't yeah, know. I didn't get that either. I don't know if they didn't know what the down and I don't know if they didn't know what the down and distance was. I don't know what the situation was there, but that I think maybe they said it was fourth and one or third and one or whatever, and and they're like, oh okay, we'll just QB sneak it, and then it came out that it wasn't really actually because that's happened before, but otherwise. Um, or maybe they just want to draw out of practice. And maybe they wanted to see what his capability was. Like, can a guy that big pick up two yards instead of one yard on a QB sneak? But I, I still thought that was kind of silly. So, Lucas, don't freak out just yet, but it is something to pay attention to moving forward. I have no issue, Sean, with him running, like, in the Ohio State-Michigan games, like, ten times a game, if that's what's needed to, to maybe beat a higher-level defense. But against the Indianas the Rutgers of the world, you really probably shouldn't need to run it more than like three or four times. So uh, we'll, we'll keep that in mind moving forward. Um, this next question, good old Mike Vales um, says, when's the last time Penn State has had this many blowouts in a season? Um, so this was in regard to Penn State now has six wins by 28 plus points this year, which really is something to to be impressed with. I mean, they only have eight wins, or excuse me, nine wins. So, and one of them was a season opener on the road in which they were able to get the job done. And one of them was in a monsoon. So, you got to feel pretty good as far as their ability to, to, to not just win the games they're supposed to, but, but really blow out the teams that they're supposed to. Um, I do not have that number for it, like the last time. I think it's more of like a rhetorical question anyway. But I will say this. In 2017, I think most Penn State fans agree that 2017 was was arguably Penn State's most athletic team under Franklin's era. Um, just to give you an idea, 28 plus wins that they had in 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 2017. They they shut out Auburn 52 nothing or Akron, excuse me, 52 nothing. They beat Georgia State 56 nothing. So those are two, but again, not Power Five related, but those are still two. Um, they they beat Indiana 45-14, so that was a 31-point win, so that's three. They beat Northwestern 31-7, but that's not 28, so that doesn't count. They beat Rutgers 35-6, so that's fringe, but we'll give it to them, 29-point win, so that's, that's what, four? And then they beat... Maryland 66 to three. So that's five. So even in Penn State's arguably most talented team in 2017 that they've had, they only had five. And Penn State already has six this year with with Michigan State looming. So I don't want to say this is overall more talented team, but it's starting to look like they have way more depth than they've ever had. And they are you could argue they are now at a better, more consistent place than they have been for a long time. And and maybe ever in Franklin's ever, as far as consistency goes. Obviously, don't, they don't have the splash wins, but as far as the consistency goes, you could argue this is maybe one of the best teams that Penn State's ever had under James Franklin, which isn't enough, but it is, as far as getting back on the right page, pretty impressive, Sean. 
Yeah, I think they're probably better than 2019. Uh, I'm just going to make that bold declaration. Um, I don't think they're as good as 17. And I don't think they're as good as 16, but I think they're probably better than seven than, than 19. And I think it's a lot of it is because a lot of the wins just come with ease and they're able, and you could just tell they're a lot different than every other team except Michigan and Ohio State. Like they just run through teams like it's really nothing in a way that we haven't seen since 2017 on a consistent basis. Um, I think they probably have more depth. They do have more depth than the 16 team and they have more depth. And I think and they do have good more depth than the 17 team, but I just don't think they have starters pound for pound. I don't think they're quite as good, but they're also a lot younger than the 17 team. So there's that as well. Uh, but yeah, this is the best team I think Penn State has had since 2017. Maybe that's a hot take, but I don't really think it's all that hot. No, I think if you put 2017's offense or this 20 with this defense, I think you have the best team Penn State's had in a long time. Because um, really, a lot of that star power. Not that the 2017 defense was bad by any means, but mm-hmm. I am getting to the point, Sean. Not 100% there yet. But I'm getting to the point where I think this might be one of the Penn State's best defenses under James Franklin. I mean, they are they're really getting I mean, they got I think they just said that they have 10 different guys with a sack now this year. I mean, they're very versatile. They had I know for a fact they had 10 different people. I think it was 10. Maybe it was eight different people with a TFL in in the game yesterday. Um, So the depth is definitely better than than maybe it's ever been. But with the secondary that they have had. And the the defensive line that they've had, I know the linebackers is, aren't as good as other teams, but um, they're getting close. They're getting close. So, Mike, to answer your question, in the James Franklin era, I don't know. I I am pretty sure this has never happened before, and I think there's there's something to take out of that. Again, it's only one half of the coin as far as being an elite team, but it's a very it's a very positive thing to take moving forward. That's a good way to put it. Yeah, I think you could probably say 17 to answer the question directly. Uh, but I don't even know if you could say that. Maybe even I'll wait. So it's been a it's been a long time. So I've liked it. I've liked it. I've liked not being stressed out of my mind for the last three weeks. Yep. Yep. That's and I got to finish sure. the job against Michigan State. But I yep. will say. Um, Michigan State, I, I couldn't imagine how they have very much confidence going into that game if you're Michigan State getting, I mean, they, it, I mean, just take it like this, Sean. Oh, we'll get to it later. I'll hold the, on to the uniform clash in that game looked like Christmas, too. I just want to point that out. I was, uh, and it was, yeah, flurrying and everything. I'll, I'll get to the Michigan State <laughs> thing in a second because I want to run parallels. Don't let me forget, I want to run parallels to last season towards the end, but, um, Penn State, um, I'm sorry, Maryland, is that right? Yeah, so they're five and six now, so we'll, we'll get to that middle second. Um, Einstein von Braun, why are we a slow-starting team? What needs to change in order to help us start fast and never look back? Someone answered this question in chat, and they actually had the stats in, in chat in on Twitter and had the stats to back it up, but basically it was like everyone starts slow, technically. like. Everyone, for the most part, does not do as well in the first quarter as they do in the second, third, fourth quarter. Part of that is due to field position. Um, 
but also just just in general, teams typically start slow. Now, Penn State has had a bunch of three and outs in the first quarter of games. Um, and, and a lot of games, they've actually had a significant amount of turnovers as well. And they did a better job of that this time. But, yeah, they are struggling in the beginning. Um, I don't know if... I don't know if we've always been a slow starting team. I mean, there's been definitely the the uh, seasons that stick out to you, like 2016, et cetera, that were like, yeah, those those teams really did start out slow. Um, I don't have a great answer for why, but in order to fix it, I think it's. I mean, they've had they've had like the recipe down. I thought for a little bit there, which was throwing the ball early you know, quick little throws to loosen up the defense, and then you kind of run underneath. I will also say, and this isn't, I don't want to call it an excuse, but they've been super duper close to getting that first down and getting the ball rolling on a lot of these opening drives. And it's like third and fourth and one or fourth and two and fourth and three and, or, or like a Mitch Tinsley, like goes backwards instead of forwards or just stuff like that, where it just drives you nuts because they, if you know, they get that first, first down, the momentum starts going um, and it just hasn't happened. I don't know why, Sean. I don't think it's necessarily going to get better at this point in the season. But um, but I I, I don't know. I, I don't know how you fix it either. I I think you gotta I I think you gotta go back to the quick throwing game. Get get Sean Clifford into a rhythm, and once he's in a rhythm, then everything kind of gets better from there. But if you're what I hate, Sean, is when they run the ball two times. Sean Clifford is in no rhythm, and then they make him throw on like a third and six, and he hasn't thrown a pass yet, and now he's he's asked to do what he's not his best at, which is throwing out a rhythm where he usually has to hold on to the ball. Like that that has ended up and and not working out for Penn State. But when they come out and throw it, they pick up three yards or they pick up four yards, and then all of a sudden now now they just kind of have a little bit more of a a rhythm to it, um, heading into those first couple third downs of the game. Yeah, I feel like if I was an offensive coordinator, I'd always come out just firing the ball. But don't worry, I'm not going to be an offensive coordinator. I'm going to be on a podcast with Corey. So I could just say that's what I would do. Uh, to answer your question, I mean, maybe, and I don't know if Penn State does this. I don't think, I would like to see somebody ask James Franklin this because I don't know the answer. So Joe, when he was here, scripted his first 25 plays. Maybe you could script your whole first drive. I mean, maybe that's something you could you could look into where you're just like, OK, these are the plays we're running with very little variation. Uh, you know, you might run something different on a third and 18 than just. But but anyway, you know, maybe you could try to script your first drive of the game. That's a possibility, but I'm just kind of spitballing. Maybe we do. But I would kind of like maybe if one of the the. Uh, beat writers are listening. Maybe they could ask James Franklin that question. Yeah, yeah. And I, Robert Parker says, by the way, about the the blowout wins. Yeah, maybe. I don't know if you have to go that far back, but 1994 definitely um, is one of those teams that blew out people that, for the most part that they were supposed to, um, including a big win against Ohio State. But um, I'm not trying to compare this team to, to 1994 by any means. But yeah, that 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 team definitely was good. Um, I don't have an answer for you, Einstein. I think that's, you know, that's a million dollar yeah, question, question because if they were able to figure that out, 
you could argue the Ohio State game is different. You could argue the Michigan game is different. So um, if you want to point out one overarching theme, not like a specific position, but one thing that maybe changes everything, it, it's starting faster in the first quarter. But um, huh. it, it's Mr. Mister. Oh, is that That's, Mr. M- yeah, it's his oh, Twitter he, handle. Oh, okay. That is, Mr. Mister. Yeah, he yeah, just changed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah he gotcha. just changed. Good catch there. Yeah, Mr. Mister tried to switch one on us. Didn't even realize that. Um, not so fast, <laughs> my friend. Uh, we'll, we'll finish with one question. This is from our good pal, Dorito Bandit. Um, he, he says, Trey Wallace seems to be fairly reliable, seems to be a fairly reliable pass catcher. It wasn't always this year, by the way, so I remind people. Um, that said, if Washington leaves next year, Parker Washington, that is, does Keandre Lambert Smith step up, or is there another young guy you'd expect to be a top target for Drew Aller? Um, this is a great question, and I think we have a lot of offseason to talk about it. Which, again, everybody, we're not going anywhere. We'll be live once a week for the entire um, post-bowl till new season starts season. And so we're not going anywhere. But um, we have a lot more time to to really dive into this question, so I don't want to spend too much time on it, Sean. But it was when we talked about it a little bit already, but it was very evident that Penn State did not and still really doesn't have a number one wide receiver, but really doesn't when Parker Washington's out. Um, I don't really know if that's by design. Like, I don't know if they just gave Tinsley the same amount of reps or the same amount of targets that they gave Jahan Dotson. Like, how how much worse would he be than Jahan Dotson at converting those attempts into pr- production? Um, but but obviously, they, they no, no one really gets that amount of reps. I thought they were going to give the ball to Keandre Lambert-Smith a bunch. That second drive, he got two passes on that short drive. And I was like, oh, oh, they're going to get the ball to Keandre a bunch. And then he only caught one more pass after that. So um, I don't know to answer the question specifically. I will say that if Keandre Lambert-Smith and Trey Wallace stay, one of them has to step up. I, at this point, I'd put more money on Trey Wallace doing it than Keandre Lambert-Smith because I just feel like Keandre Lambert-Smith hasn't shown it, and he probably should have by now. To answer that second part of the question, I really like Omari Evans. I think Omari Evans could be could be very special. Um, obviously, Caden Saunders could be something special on the slot. I know Liam Clifford has had some nice catches, but he, Liam Clipper doesn't has already burned his red shirt, so he's he's kind of maybe playing more than some of the younger guys just because they want to hold on to preserve some of those red shirts. I guess his next two weeks will be interesting for in, in that perspective. Um, but um, yeah, I, I would go Amari Evans, Sean. I might go Trey Wallace. Uh, Trey Wallace has been a good pass catcher for us all season. Uh, I know he had he had a drop or two early in the year, but I think he's been fine. Uh, KLS, I, I said yesterday at Friendsgiving, I think he has the most talent of any receiver we have we we've seen this year. But he just can't put it together, and sometimes you get guys like that. Uh, and I still I think there's a possibility. Maybe I would take at like plus three hundred if it was a bet that the best receiver for next year isn't here yet. And it's somebody we don't know, and maybe somebody we're not even recruiting, but it might be somebody who's going to be in the portal. So I would look for Penn State to, regardless if Parker comes back or not, to 
go into the portal and try to get somebody out of there to maybe be that top dog in that group. Could be one of those years too, or or maybe Theo Johnson or or Brenton Strange decides to come back, where you know they, it's a heavy heavy dose of of Theo Johnson or somebody like that as Could well. Be. That just lines up like a Brock Bowers does, and just pretty much is a wide receiver. Um, we'll, we'll have to wait and see on that. I think that's all the fan questions we had today. Thank you guys for the questions. I mean, we had a bunch. I didn't I didn't pick all of them. We'd be here all day. So we appreciate the load of, of fan questions. Um, Hardcore PSUFB is where you can find us on Twitter. We ask for questions every single episode, so we appreciate it. Uh, okay, bowl projection time, Sean. My head hurts. That's why I'm here. That's why I'm here for you. Um, it's not too complicated now. It's got it's the picture gets more and more clear every week. But this is why I tweeted literally like November 10th or something like that. I was like, people are starting to try to figure out bowl stuff, and I'm like, it's way too early. Chaos is about to happen. We got some chaos on Saturday, not as much as it maybe could have been, like we said earlier, but um. We did get a big one, and that was South Carolina, not just beating Tennessee, but blowing the doors off of Tennessee. Um, Tennessee scored late to make it 38 points, but but South Carolina scored 66 on Tennessee. And, and remind everybody, I think they scored 10 against Florida. So, like, yeah, the, the South Carolina offense came out of nowhere. Uh, Tennessee now has two losses. And it's my belief, Sean, that with that loss being so bad and with Hendon Hooker presumably being done for the season, we don't know yet for sure, but it looked like a knee injury. Unfortunately, it was it was awful to watch because it was a non-contact injury. Um, I'm going to assume he's done for the year with based off what I'm about to say. I hope he's not because he's a very electric player, probably was the Heisman front runner until that until that game. Um Still might have been after what Stroud did wasn't very impressive against Maryland. But anyway, um, and Drake may loss. But anyway, I think Penn State is ranked in front of Tennessee when the rankings come out. I really do. I, I Not just from the two-loss perspective and getting blown out by South Carolina, but it, I really think Penn State is better than Tennessee if Hendon Hooker can no longer play. And if it is about ranking teams by who's the best – I really think Penn State is true, like is really better than Tennessee. I get they have a win against Bama. I get they have a win um, against LSU, but without Hendon Hooker, and you're as good as your last game, so to speak. You just lost to a an average South Carolina team by 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 a bunch. I, I guess it ended up being 17. Is that right? I don't know. 66 yeah. minus 38, close to yeah, that. Yeah, something like that. Um. No, it's more than that. Jesus. No, 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 no. It's like 20 some. Yeah. It's 25. No. 63 minus 38. 60, uh, 66. 66. Oh. Um, was it 66? I thought it was 63. Hold on. It was a lot. It was a lot. Yeah. The, the point <laughs> is, it wasn't like it was a close game. And so I, I think Penn State is ranked ahead of Tennessee. And if they are, that makes a pretty significant statement as far as opening up additional opportunities for Penn State in New Year's Six games. So let's let's go through it. And, and well, Sean, do you agree with that or no? Before we get into it, yeah, I do. Uh, without Hendon Hooker, I mean, 
yeah, Penn State beats Tennessee. There's almost no doubt in my mind. And that means a very sad Clay Travis. And that's fun for everybody. Yeah, I'm actually blocked by Clay Travis on my personal Twitter, by the way. That's a good block. I love that. Yeah. Kurt Schilling blocked me. We can spend a whole day on Kurt Schilling if you want. Uh, <laughs> In the so, off season, we'll have a Kurt Schilling day. Yeah. So let's let's talk this through. Let's let's start with I would assume is everyone's best. What everybody wants. Maybe if you're not if you're on the East Coast, maybe you don't because you want to go to a bowl game closer. But as far as the best bowl, the Rose Bowl. Well, you need Penn State, you need Ohio State, excuse me, and Michigan to both make the playoff. With Tennessee losing, that's one less team that most likely was going to be ahead of the loser of the Ohio State-Michigan game. So that that got better. Um, USC still won. So USC, if USC wins out, they're going to be ahead of the loser of Ohio State-Michigan um, no matter what. TCU, if they win out, they're going to be ahead of the Ohio State-Michigan loser no matter what. In order for both Michigan and Ohio State to get in, it's going to have to be a close game next week, as well as one of TCU and USC losing for sure. It would also probably help in the grand scheme of things if Clemson lost, just to make sure. Um, But I think Michigan or Ohio State, if it's a close loss, get in over Clemson. But TC or USC definitely need to lose. One of those definitely needs to lose uh, in order for that to happen. If that happens, Penn State would be the next best team in the Big Ten. They'd go to the Rose Bowl. It's pretty cut and dry. There's no no politics involved in that. They they could be ranked 16th. They could be ranked eighth. They they would they would go as long as you know Iowa for for some awful reason would be ahead, which which they wouldn't be. Um, obviously if Iowa upset whoever was in the Big Ten Championship, that would mess everything up drastically because Iowa would get to go to the Rose Bowl, which can you imagine that? Barnacles. Um, this just be terrible. That that that's insane. That's... That makes me my stomach sick. Yeah. Um which I don't think it's gonna happen because I don't see how Iowa does anything. The good news about Iowa doing well is that Penn State plays Iowa next year and most likely means Brian Ferentz is still gonna be around. So that that's good. Let's go. Yeah. Um, anyway, so that's easy for as far as the Rose Bowl goes. Like, no politics involved. Just need, if you're rooting for the Rose Bowl, which is actually counterintuitive potentially for the Orange or Cotton Bowl, but you want Clemson to lose one more. You want TCU, TCU who plays Iowa State, I think, to finish the year and will play Kansas State in the Big 12 championship. You want TCU to lose, and then you want USC to lose. And USC will play Notre Dame. And USC will play either Washington or Oregon, depending on if Washington wins um, against Washington State in, in the Apple Cup. And Oregon still plays Oregon State as well. So uh, we'll see who USC has to play. And also USC might already have a loss before the Pac-12 championship week. So um, still some pretty good chances for those teams to lose. And, and Clemson plays I guess a decent South Carolina team, which all of a sudden doesn't look as much of a walkover. So that's the Rose Bowl. I would probably give the Rose Bowl a 50-50 shot at this point. I really think at this point there's a there's a 50-50 chance that either USC or TCU loses and and the the game is close enough where where Michigan or, or Ohio State gets in. So th- that's how I'm feeling about the Rose Bowl. Much better, much better than it was. A week ago, much better than it was maybe two weeks ago. And 
obviously I'm rooting for that because that's what I predicted before the season even started. So that'd be, that'd be crazy if I actually guess USC and Penn state in the Rose bowl um, and, and the, and the big 10 teams in the playoff. Let's go to the orange bowl next, Sean. Orange bowl is a little bit more complicated. So they take the ACC champion, no matter what, and they play versus the next highest ranked big 10 or sec team that did not go to the sugar bowl which the SEC best team would go to, and did not go to the Rose Bowl, which the Big Ten's next best team would go to. So they're basically taking the second or third or even fourth best team from that conference. Um, Assuming Georgia's in the playoff, assuming Ohio State-Michigan winners in the playoff, you then would basically want LSU and Bama to lose a game. If LSU's got Texas A&M, Bama's got Auburn at home. If either one of those lose next week, Penn State has a really good chance for the Orange Bowl. I will add to that, this is where the Tennessee is so important. If Penn State's in front of Tennessee in this next ranking, they would then go to the Orange Bowl over Tennessee. And Tennessee's looking like they might end up going to the Cotton Bowl, if not the Citrus Bowl at that point. Um if Alabama beats Auburn and LSU beats Texas A&M on the road, the next best thing, the only hope for the Orange Bowl would be Alabama going to the Sugar Bowl, Tennessee being ranked behind Penn State, and then LSU getting blown out by UGA to enough where they would then not get the Orange Bowl. Maybe they'd fall to the Cotton Bowl, or maybe they wouldn't get a New Year's Six berth at all at that point with three losses and, and again, getting absolutely blown out. Tennessee losing does make LSU's uh, loss to, at home to Tennessee look worse, which maybe hurts their resume a little bit. Um, so that's one's a little bit more complicated, Sean. But basically, it's super simple. If LSU and it doesn't hurt if Alabama loses, if they both lose, Orange Bowl is very, very much in the mix for Penn State. Yeah, so to sum it up, we have to root against LSU. Or yes. No, we, we have to root against LSU, we have to root against USC, we have to root against TCU. Yes. And if any of them lose, good things will probably happen for your Nittany Lions. Yes. Throw in, throw in rooting for Auburn, too. Yes, yes. Our old friends, the Auburn Tigers. Um, where's the Iron Bowl at this year? It's in Alabama. Okay. I was going to ask if you were going to go. No, I, I would have loved to go to the Iron Bowls, which I guess I'm probably not going to ever get to go to one anytime soon. But it is very hard for me to figure out that or or justify two hundred something dollars for a ticket for a team that I don't yeah, even really team. root for. Um, Makes sense. At, at one point, definitely on the bucket list. But even when I was at Auburn, it's just like even last year when it, Auburn wasn't very good. Um those tickets were still bonkers. So I don't um, blame you. I wouldn't go either. <laughs> we'll, we'll wrap up, Sean, with, um, with Cotton Bowl. I want to get to the Cotton Bowl real quick. Yeah, I have thoughts on the Cotton Bowl. Yeah, so the Cotton Bowl, if you're rooting for the Cotton Bowl, Cotton Bowl is the best group of five team, which now is a little bit complicated because UCF lost to Navy, and Tulane did win, and Cincinnati won, and they are all ranked. So... Um, so that changes a little bit there. It's looking like maybe Tulane at this point. But um, so they would face the next best, basically highest ranked at large team um, in the power five. 
which could be Penn State. Again, you want Penn State in front of Tennessee in this next next week's rankings. You would still want uh, LSU to perhaps get blown out. And here's where it gets interesting. You would actually prefer all of the Power 5 championships to not be upsets. So you want Georgia to win. You want Clemson to win. You want, let's just say, USC to win. You want, um, obviously, obviously the bit, you know, Ohio State or Michigan to win, and you want TCU to win because if any of those teams get upset in the conference championship, K State would then get the Fiesta Bowl, but TCU would still get a a potential New Year's Six berth. Um, UNC wins the ACC, then Clemson still probably gets a New Year's Six berth over Penn State. Uh, LSU beats UGA. Maybe UGA and LSU both get into the college football playoff, but if they don't, one of them gets a New Year's Six berth, uh, and, and so forth. Same with same with uh, let, let's say USC wins these next couple games, they have one loss, but they lose in the Pac-12 championship. They probably still get a New Year's Six berth over Penn State. So you don't want any of the the, the favorites to win in the conference championship. Then, as long as they're ranked ahead of Tennessee, the Cotton Bowl very much still in play. So that that's the basic thought in how Penn State goes to the Cotton Bowl. Yeah, I kind of think we're, and this is just a guess. We could go anywhere. So I have a feeling we're going to go to the Cotton Bowl, and it would be fine. But we're going to play a Group of Five team, and that would it makes me want to pull my hair out of my head because. They don't belong there this year. They don't. None of them do. Tulane, really? Two lost Tulane? <laughs> Cincinnati, they're, they're, they shouldn't be in. Because then if Penn State loses to them, it'll just be, oh, Penn State lost to a group of five team. If we win, oh, Penn State beat a group of five team. And it, it, none of them deserve to be there this year. So I just think it's ridiculous that they're even being, that, that they have an automatic bid. I think yet I think you should have to earn an at-large bet if you're a group of five, just like we would. But that's yeah. my two cents on it. Yeah, we we spoke about that a little bit last week too. Um, I guess my question, Sean, would would you rather play like Alabama or Tennessee in a Citrus Bowl instead of no? You still rather go to the Cotton Bowl? Yeah, yeah because it's too. still it's still a bigger deal of being a New Year's Six Bowl. Yep, I agree. But, I agree. I mean, that question's just, definitely been asked. It and I get it. I do understand the question, but. I would still rather be in the Cotton Bowl, but that's just me. No, I agree. My next question is, does Sean Clifford start in that bowl game? The only caveat I see where Sean Clifford starts is if it's the Rose Bowl. And even then, I'm not 100% sold on it. But otherwise, I, 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 think, you, I think you probably see Drew Aller, right? Especially if it's a Cotton Bowl, I would hope. I mean... We could see it, uh, and I like I said, I don't think Franklin's going to rush Cliff out the door. I just don't see that happening. Uh, I would like to see Haller play in the playing playing the uh, in the bowl game, but I mean, I kind of I kind of think Cliff's going to start, but that's just me. Yeah, I, I hope not, but yeah, we'll have to wait and see. Um, okay, that's the bold projections, Sean. Your elevator pitch for Michigan State next week. Okay. Um, Michigan State is not a good football team. We are a good football team. We are Penn State. We're at home. It's senior day. Let's just send Tuck losing and 
have a double digit win season. That would be our fourth double digit win season since 2016. And I know, I, I don't know exactly who's done that, but I think it's a small group of teams. So it kind of reminds me this year of a Brian Kelly coach Notre Dame team in that outside of the murder, uh, just that they were, that they beat all the teams they're supposed to beat and typically beat them handily, but they kind of, but they have trouble against better teams. Uh, but maybe, you know, you beat Michigan State, you get to a good bowl game, you have a chance to hopefully play a good team and go 11, go 11 and 2. So, but it all starts beating Michigan State next week. So let's send Tuck losing. Yeah, Sean, I guess I'll just say this, that compared to compared to last year at this time playing Michigan State, people are bought into the season still. People aren't just hoping for the season to be over. Um, Penn State's in a much, much better place than last year. And it has a chance to get to 11 wins, which which needs to be talked about and, and respected for. Uh, Michigan State is, is, is kind of falling to the wayside. It lost to Indiana. I can't imagine they have very much very much to play for. I know it's a really important game for them to get the bowl eligibility, but I just can't imagine they have very much momentum inside that program right now. So um, this is a must win for James Franklin. We talked a lot about if Franklin would just beat Michigan State more, the perception I think would be better. And he hasn't really been able to do it. So this is this is a big win to get back on the on the right track against Michigan State moving forward. So th- this is an important this is an important game coming up. And I should say it's going to be a Fox Sports one at four o'clock. The kickoff time has been released. So I, I say this is this is a must win. I know it sounds silly, but I think this is a must win for for Penn State. No, it is. All these wins this month, all these games in November have been must wins, because if you lose one of them, I mean, yeah, it's a real damper on the season. And going into the month, I kind of thought Maryland would be the toughest one. Uh, you know, but then the Maryland game happened, but then probably Michigan State because Michigan State does have talent. They do have good positions that they do have good players at certain positions, but they are a very lackluster team. Um, so they should win, and I think they will. Well, oh, I just gave away my prediction. <laughs> oh, giving away the prediction early. Bang. No, I, I, I get, I agree, I agree, and it's it's an important one. I will go out with my, an early bold prediction and say this is the last time you see Sean Clifford play football for Penn State. But I really think it is. Ooh, okay, okay. Yeah. I mean, this is his perfect chance. Send them off with the win. He just passed 80 career touchdown passes. Um, let him go out at home. I, I, You can't get any better of a, a goodbye than at home in front of your crowd. People will cheer for him. People will be there for him. Don't make him play in a bowl game. Like the bowl games, we've already kind of said, have moved to more of a transitional period for teams. That is the time where you go full aller moving forward, in my opinion. And I, and I think to a certain degree... They should be healthier by then, too, so you don't feel like you can't put Aller in that situation. So, uh, yeah, I, I think that's the case, Sean. Any final thoughts before we get on out of here? No, no. Nice win yesterday. Third straight nice win, so keep the train on moving. Yeah, well, for uh, for everybody here at Hardcore Penn State Football, which is just me and Sean, we thank you guys so much for listening. It's been a really fun year. I can't believe we only have one game left, Penn State. Looking for the 10-2 finish to the year. 
Uh, we appreciate you guys listening. If you haven't already followed and subscribed wherever you listen to podcasts, please do so. If you're on YouTube, make sure to like and subscribe to the channel. And we will see you. Well, I got to talk to Sean about what we want to do on Wednesday. I think I'll be able to. I'm going to bring all my bring my stuff with me, but I don't think I'll actually be in the house on, on Wednesday. Uh, but we'll, we'll get you some news. Stay up to date on Twitter at Hardcore PSUFB for, for the latest on what our plans are. Um, but you guys have a good week. Happy early Thanksgiving to everybody. And, and we'll see you in some capacity on Wednesday night. Um, for Sean Kane, I'm Corey Listoki. You've been listening to Hardcore Penn State Football. Have a good week, everybody. Thanks, everyone.